I'm Christine Levine, and you're listening to Found Dead. My name is Rick, and I found six dead bodies. He looked murdered. Something instinctually said to me, there's something wrong. She was blue. He's dead, dead, dead. Today's episode, The Body by the Dumpster. I sat down with my friend Rick at my house in Arizona. Rick is a native of Tucson. He is a queer rights activist and co-founder of Tucson Queer Story, an archive project preserving the story and long history of the queer community in Tucson, Arizona. Rick and I became friends before I ever heard his story. It's not very often that I find someone like me who has found more than three bodies. And at that point, I just say multiples. It drew us closer Like, he knew something about me, and I knew something about him. We understand each other. I think that's the best way to put it. And also, like me, his first was when he was very young. His story begins in Tucson, Arizona, in 1975. When I was two, my sister died. We were in my grandparents' home, and we were taking a nap. We had each our own cribs. I was older. She was eight months old. There was sort of a ritual when I would wake up, I would climb out and climb to her and we would play until somebody came to get us. Opposite, if she would wake up first, she would throw her toys until I woke up. So obviously that afternoon, which happened to be my grandfather's birthday, I woke up, climbed out of my crib, climbed up onto hers. And from what I know, from what I've been told, she was blue and dead and I Something instinctually said to me, there's something wrong. And I screamed and I fell on top of her, which made me scream more. And so then my mom comes in the room to see what's going on. And then sort of the rest is history at that point. This was in 1975. 911 wasn't a thing yet. She called zero, said she needed help. She had me in one hand, my sister Pam in the other hand. We're out on the front porch and a police car pulls up. He comes up, he grabs my sister and just leaves. And so we're just standing there. I have no idea what's going on. I don't remember that, but I know for a fact that it was trauma. What I remember is a week later, at two and a half, almost three years old, I remember being in a limousine with my mom and my grandmother and my grandfather. And I'm sitting on the seat that faces backwards with my arm on top of a casket. The casket was probably... 29, 30 inches long, little ice chest, my mom calls it, little white ice chest. And I remember that, and I know I remember it, and it's not something that somebody told me because I said it out loud first, and the shock on my grandmother's face that I just talked about it on my own. I think I was about six, and I said something like, I think we had gone to another funeral, and I said, how come when Pammy died, she didn't have her own car? And she said, what are you talking about, basically? And I said, she didn't have... we, she rode in the car with us, and that person didn't. Mm-hmm. I think it was my grandfather's sister that passed away or something. And that person had their own car, and people carried the casket. Mm-hmm. That was different. Like, my grandfather, I believe, carried my sister's casket by himself. And then she said, I can't believe you know that. Nobody's ever, you know, it wasn't a conversation anybody had. So all of a sudden, at six years old, you pop off and you're just like what you have these questions mm-hmm. and what did they say did they answer you or she yeah well, I mean, grandmother was super open with me yeah i mean if we want to go back a couple more years before that before i was born my uncle was murdered 
So it started then in my family. So he was killed. And so my grandmother was suffering an immense amount of trauma when my sister died. And now then my mom is suffering the same trauma my grandmother is. The sad part about my sister's story is that no, but she died of SIDS. We should get that yeah. on there. Back then they didn't call it SIDS. They called it crib death. She had an autopsy. There was a full investigation. It's what it was. But the media got involved. There was a banner headline in the, the newspaper that said, What Killed Baby Pamela in three-inch black, bold print. There was media in front of the house. People would call the house and say, Baby Killer, and hang up. Stuff like that. So on top of losing this little precious child, there's this on top of it. On the heels of my grandfather being sort of an influential person of all of the press from my uncle, who was a quarterback football player being killed within a few years of each other. And you go back and you look at the history. It's kind of simple how it happened. They were at the hospital and the two detectives that were the homicide detectives that were working my, my uncle's case came to console my family. Somebody saw that and knew that they were homicide detectives and tipped off media to say something else is going on here. My mom was all of 19 years old at this point. Oh, my God. So the rumors around town were, first, my mom killed her. Then I, at two years old, killed her. So you would just start piling trauma on top of trauma yeah. on top of trauma. Everybody was, like, it sounded like the community was just re-victimizing your mother and right. your family. And my mom went to California for a while, so I was with my grandmother. It just was just mass insanity at that point. Do you know if she ever got counseling or treatment or anything like that for... She did yeah. much later. Um, she also, with her friend Jenny, created a nonprofit or worked with a nonprofit that's still around called Compassionate Friends, and it's about for parents that lost children. That was her therapy. And where we live for a lot of years, when a child would die in our community, her and Jenny were the contact points for whoever was helping the family. Whether it was, you know, a child died from violence or SIDS or whatever, drowning. So my mom and her friend Jenny, who was a nurse, would respond to these scenes with these families. Oh, my God. And, and sit with the families and help them. And then bring them into the support groups and stuff like that. So that was how my mom was helping herself. Did you get any counseling when you were little? No. Or did they get any treatment for you? No. No. I think they just thought I just didn't remember. And I think their way of dealing with it was it was just not talked about. My grandfather was a strange man. Within the day, I mean, within 24 hours of my sister's death, everything that was hers was gone. What? He had, like, eliminated everything. Everything was gone. I swear to God, it's like the, this Protestant work ethic. My family is the same way. You know, somebody dies, there's some kind of tragedy in the family, and it's like... Back to work. Let's go. Yep. We just put our boots on and keep fucking going. Right. And exactly. let's walk it off. Yeah. And the only thing we have, we have just a few pictures of her. You know, we didn't have camera phones back then. Yeah. And you didn't have and time. a friend of my mom said babysat us a few days before and we had left a pair of her Pam's shoes at her house. So we have those pair of shoes and we have nothing else. And when she died, I had this little wind up bear and she had a wind up lamb bought at the same time. I still have my bear. Somebody went and replaced the lamb so he could bury it with her because oh my, my grandfather because he just scooped everything had somebody 
probably from his company come in and literally erase everything. Like it just didn't never. She never existed. I wonder if he thought he was helping your mother. I think so. I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, he thought he was hurting and he just was like, no. But I really feel like he was probably. And I think somewhere in his head, you know, she was only eight months old. You know what I mean? Uh, she was just yeah. a baby. No, no you know that I mean? generation, mm-hmm. they did feel that way. Right. I, I, I've talked to a lot of older people like that, like who would be maybe 100 or 90 right mm-hmm. now. In my lifetime, I've talked to these people and it, it really, death was something that you did just kind of march on with because it happened so often. And they were still like mid-trial, like getting ready to go to trial for my uncle's murder. Yeah. So that was, that they couldn't escape. Okay. And I don't know if he just did, could not, Maybe he couldn't handle the heaviness of it all on top of everything else. And right. and just, I don't know. He never answered the questions. He refused. I'm sorry that happened. Do, do you guys still, like, you celebrate her birthday? Yes. Still, she's obviously got the tribute that is the nonprofit and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's fantastic that she lives on. My mo- and through that nonprofit, my mom helped create a park. And it's called the Children's Memorial Park. Oh. And there's a wall, sort of, it's similar to like the Vietnam Memorial Wall. So wow. she's on that wall. Every birthday and anniversary, we celebrate her. Mm-hmm. We remember her. Once my mom passes on, which will be a long time, I hope, I'm the only one. Like nobody else knew her. Mm-hmm. My younger siblings were way after her. My older cousins never met her. So I have made a promise to my mom that as long as I'm alive, she won't be forgotten. It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh my God, what a sad... That's always harder when babies, because they don't even get a chance to they be assholes yet. Right. You know what I mean? They don't get like, to uh, turn three. <laughs> if somebody even dies when they're 30, you're like, well, you were kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. What happens when musicians and audio engineers channel their creativity into a coffee company? You get Decibel Coffee Works. For owners Nick Hainig, Dana Fair, and Ian Hodges, the music and art communities provide them with daily inspiration. At Decibel Coffee Works, they share that inspiration in liquid form, bringing you their best coffee and favorite artists. Decibel Coffee Works purchases their ingredients from sustainable sources, providing a truly exceptional product while contributing to the longevity of the coffee industry. Whether you're shipping their excellent coffee straight into your drip machine at home or sipping a fresh cappuccino inside their cafe in Tucson, Arizona, we know you'll love what you get. You can go to decibelcoffeeworks.com today to learn more. And if you pop by the cafe, let them know that Found Dead sent you. And now back to the show. So next adult, well, young adult, Uh um, I think I was 18 or 19. I was living in the Tempe area outside of Phoenix. I was over with a friend and we were walking out to the car to go out and do something. And there was a young man who had been murdered next to the dumpster right next to where the car was parked. Oh my God. Jesus. Did it occur to you? And I've asked other people this. Did it occur to you at any time? When you see, there's obviously something happened mm-hmm. and you could just be like, I'm not going to do anything about this. We actually talked about whether we were <laughs> going to do anything about this. Like we were like, should we just leave? What should we do? And then the reality of the situation was there was some blood splatter on my friend's car. So we knew better. So that turned into a 911 call in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Right. Because that's what I'm saying too. Like now your day is ruined. Yeah. Your Three days. Oh, how, how long? Three days. It Three was days. interrogation room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And car gone, towed away. You know, stuff like that. It just was a complete and utter miserable experience. Like, 
didn't know the guy, never saw him before, didn't know, have any idea how that happened. Um, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure he shot himself in the head. Oh. So they thought he was murdered. We looked when we saw him, he looked murdered. <laughs> Right. You know, um, I think if I remember right, that if you go back, I think I'd have to go research it, but I think he killed himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did you ever feel any desire to reach out? Find, yeah, just find out who they I were think, or anything? No, I think I just wanted to know what happened, maybe, mm-hmm. other just to cure the curiosity. Like, right. you know, like, well, what happened here? Like, this is such a weird anomaly. And we mm-hmm. walked out to the car like 3 a.m., you know, mm-hmm. and here's this mess. You know, I think I just wanted to know. I don't think I ever had it at that age, too. Right, no. I didn't have, like, any desire. You don't really get philosophical about it. Yeah, no, I was just like, that's gross. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And really? Like, with my family history, really? Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, they wanted every detail of the day. Uh Where we were, what we did, and then they separated us. And they wanted to know every detail of the day. I mean, then it all just stopped. So I think they sort of figured out mm-hmm. what happened or what they thought happened. They tested his hands for gunshot whatever, residue. Or whatever or it was. Yeah. And they were like, and then it was like, came in. you know, and then it was very abrupt. Great. Have a good day. You can pick up your car tomorrow. Oh my God. That almost makes me angry. Yeah. It was that like, they bust your balls so hard. Yeah. And they didn't even drive us back. Oh. We had to like get a ride back. Oh my God. So my friend's car is gone. Right. My car's at that apartment complex. We're miles away. <laughs> Not even a bus ticket. <laughs> Nothing. Oh it's, it's three in the afternoon. You got here 10 hours ago. Bye. I told everybody I knew about it. You know, like I was almost like, if I'm being honest, I kind of wore it as like this little badge of honor for a while because mm-hmm. it got me attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people are like, oh, tell us the story, you know. So I think when you're 18 or 19 years old, it, you need attention. And if we go back a little bit for a second too, my grandmother was obsessed with death after after my uncle died obsessed with it i bet like to an extreme like and i and so from you know age two up when i was at her house i couldn't go outside oh my god i mean you know what i mean like she was obsessed something could happen and she consistently with me consistently your sister died my son died like over and over i can't wait to go to heaven and be with them. These things, my whole childhood, I would spend the weekend with her and we would go to the cemetery all day Saturday so she could polish headstones. Mm-hmm. And I'm this little kid running around a cemetery on a Saturday. That's And then we would go to Wienerschnitzel. That was like our thing. And I didn't think it was strange until I was an adult. That is so interesting. My grandmother was very much the same way. And I had a lot of what I used to call ancestor worship weekends. Yes. Which is my grandmother dragging me and the other grandkids up to the cemetery, buckets of soapy water. What is it with these old people and the, 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 what is it? Uh, the World War II generation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their obsession with death. I don't know. I but mean, we had copper headstones and she wore them down. Oh, wow. With polish, yeah. It Man, was, it was, it meant a lot to her. To it did meant, mean a lot to her. And now she's right there, right next to him with the same exact headstone he has. Wow. So, yeah. So you have a family plot yes. then that they all go Unfor- to. Unfor- my sister's in a different part in what they call baby land. My mom regrets that now, but. Uh, yeah, I've seen these. I've always called them, uh, like a, a baby garden. Right. And all they sprout is those memorials to their babies. And there's a, like a statue of Jesus with little children on his lap. <sighs> In this area of the right. cemetery, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know exactly the type you're talking about. Oh, my God. 
We got more to go through. Let's yeah. trudge on. So this is when my life turns, right? So I've got all of this trauma in my life yes. and I've got all of these things I'm dealing with and I end up going down a dark path myself. I have not had therapy. I don't understand who I am what I'm about. I've been super sheltered. I've been riddled with death my whole life at this point. I end up getting myself in trouble legally and I end up having to go to prison. Oh my God. So prison isn't a safe place either. Uh -uh. So we now end up in a violent place. And so here comes the next two. We'll be right back. Hi, Christine here. I just wanted to come in and say that if you have been enjoying our show, we'd love it if you would go to your podcast app of choice and leave us a five-star review and share our episodes on social media. It'll help new people find our show so that we can keep bringing you great stories of finding dead bodies. It's just the way everyone wants to start their Friday morning. And now back to the show. back with Rick. He got in trouble. He went to prison. And now we're up to bodies three and four. Correct. So body one, it's breakfast. Everybody's being let out to go eat breakfast. And uh, a couple of, we called them rooms the way it was set up, a couple of rooms down. Um, we had our own keys. As long as everything was unlocked, we could go in and out as we pleased. The two gentlemen that lived two doors down from me the one had was coming back from work and went into the chow hall to eat. And I was on my way. And he said, did you see my Sully? And I said, I haven't seen him. And he handed me his key and he said, you go get him for me. Basically, he had smuggled some stuff, you, you know. Oh, okay. And he didn't go get him for me. I said, sure. So I ran back up the stairs and I popped the door and I looked in and he's dead, dead, dead. Ah. And I was like, ah. Oh. God damn it. And um, he's on the top bunk and he's uh, arm out, blue, spotted, dead. And I was like, yeah, here we go. So do you think, did the, did the guy set you up to go find him? No, this was an OD. It was an OD. Yeah. So no, he didn't. He just was wondering where, because he was supposed to meet him at the chow hall to grab whatever he was supposed to grab. And he wasn't there. The, the His celly, the one that didn't die, he didn't want to cross the yard with whatever he had. I see. See, so I had to go. He asked me if I could go get him. What well, happens when somebody dies in a prison? Like you what? tell somebody and then it's just everything's locked down. So you know as you're walking towards a CO that you're about to get the whole complex locked down for <sighs> as long as you can imagine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you know that's about to happen. You know everything's going to get locked down. You're not going to... Like, do you go buy some ramen first or something? <laughs> like, you're just like, I gotta I gotta get ready for this. Or mentally prepare yourself. Or did you do, again, the dutiful thing and... Well, I went and found a Sally first. Uh -huh. And I said, I, I don't want to say any names, but I said, dude's dead. He said, what? I said, your Sally's dead, man. I don't know why. Did And I think I said, did you do something to him? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's like, no. And he, you know, oh, fuck. And I'm like, yeah. And I said, so you want to go deal with it? Or you want me to say something? What do you want done? Yeah, what's the next play? And he's like, you should, because I have this stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> right. So I just walked up to the officer that was in the kitchen, and I said, hey, dude, in room whatever, he's, I think he's dead. I got a look like, come on, you know, right. cause we're all liars, you know? Yeah. So I got this look like, come on. I said, no, seriously, I'm pretty sure he's dead. And he said, okay. And he radioed it and then it was locked down. And then all of a sudden bells and whistles, bells and whistles, lockdown, get in your rooms right now. Cop, cops coming from every corner. Yeah. 
ODs aren't too bad. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? As far as being graphic. Yeah, there's and nothing stuff. Gra- real graphic about it. He'd just been there all night long and stuff That's had settled. Yeah, yeah. The color. The color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't see his face. Oh, good. I saw his arm. Yeah. But and then it, you know just the arm, though. Yeah, I could tell by the arm. And it was just in a weird, weird position. It was like hanging down. I was like, yeah, nothing about this is right. Do you think that when you enter a space where there's somebody dead in it, that it feels different? Absolutely. Isn't that weird? It feels like, for me, it feels like a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Like this weird like spot now. It's a spot now. And it... And, I'm sure it's all psychological, but yeah, it's like, it does. It feels like a, a vacuum, but like that air has know. been sucked out of the room. Yeah, yeah, but even before you know, right? there's something different about the area. Right, yeah. I don't know what that is, but uh-huh. when you go into a room where everybody's alive, everything's alive, mm-hmm. it feels a certain way. And then when you walk into a room where somebody is not alive something is not alive mm-hmm. like you know like your dog or whatever even that can yeah, happen and absolutely you just feel it yeah i think I, maybe we're programmed to know yeah you know to be like oh stop right the connection to i hate to get woo about it but i just don't know how else to mm-hmm. process that right that feeling and there's something about like they're so they're too still yeah when I, when I was a young mother, I would watch my baby sleep because, you know, just in case. Just in case. Right? Yeah. Crib death and lava were two things that I was terrified of. And quicksand, you know yeah. what I mean? That's, <laughs> right. I thought, oh, God, my whole life is going to be riddled with crib death, lava, quicksand, yeah. I'm dead. I walked a lot of Gilligan's Island <laughs> and had a, also a fascination with things dying. There is just that stillness. and But when I was watching my kids breathe, even if they didn't take a breath right away or when I thought they should... And the thought would occur to me, oh, God, I still knew it wasn't the same as when I saw my grandmother. Right. It was not the sa- that same feeling mm-hmm. of, you know, you just know they're alive. Right. That was a weird feeling. So, like, even when you walked in, mm-hmm. just even, like, the placement of his body, like, you're just taking it all in going, right. nope. Mm-mm. And the fact that when I knocked, he didn't respond. Yeah. You know, because you don't just walk in. He could have had a stroke. Yeah. And still been alive. Right. But you know. But you know. And then, of course, it came to, why did you go up there? Why did you have that key? What was going on? You know? Oh. Yeah. So, dude had to, like, kind of come clean about it. Because I'm like, you're not getting me in trouble for this. So. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> God, I just, I, you know, it's weird. I have met a few people that have found multiple bodies that like me. It's not often. Like, it's pretty rare. And I had this idea that maybe people like you right. and people like me are for I mean I don't want to get too woo woo about it, but maybe we're this is like our call like this is what we do we absorb trauma we're like the dogs of the world we absorb the trauma for everybody else so that they don't have to do it right imagine if somebody more fragile had found some of the bodies that you've had right you know what yeah. I mean yeah absolutely and isn't it great I mean it, it's not great but in a way. <laughs> I feel like, in the, in my cases anyway, I know that the people who could have found those bodies were even less equipped than I was. Right, to deal with it. To deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Or what I, do you think ne- is, your, what ne- is your philosophy on this? I never thought about it that way. I just thought it was a curse, honestly, that it was just some kind of magnetic force. You know, I have that electronic curse, too, to where if I touch electronics first, they break. Right. So I just I just thought that somehow these things were attracted to me, and since the first one I found was when I was so young, 
Yeah, that's yeah. usually how it goes, by the right. way. The people that I'm talking to that have found multiple bodies, mm-hmm. like, and I'm talking five, six, seven, eight, and they don't work in a mortuary, mm-hmm. and they don't go hiking a lot. Mm-mm. They just are regular folks that keep running into death over and over and over again. Those people usually have started when they're children. Right. I did. You did. I yeah. Did. Like, yeah. I mean, bef- 10 and under. Oh, yeah. yeah. Almost always. Always. Like, you don't think, is there not a purpose to it or? Well, I think that maybe now that you said it, I haven't thought about it that uh-huh. way ever. Because more often than not, I just don't. I try not to think about it. How are we all holding up? Three down, three more to go. And can I confess something to you? Halfway through this interview, even I had to take a break. So I know you do too. We'll hear the rest of Rick's story next week in The Body by the Roadside. And as I passed him, he ran right behind my car and got hit by a van. Found Dead is a Levine Entertainment production. This show is produced and edited by Nora Williams. Our logo is by Nora Williams based on a design by Chris Levine. Our theme music is Autumn Sunset by Jason Shaw. The interview you heard today was edited for length and clarity. If you found someone dead and would like to tell your story, reach out to us through email at founddeadpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at founddeadpod. Let's just say this for legalities. Nora, check check our our lawyer. Make sure they know. Right? I, did, I didn't, didn't kill anybody. You didn't make them one. Mm-mm. Not didn't, one of them. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs>